Welcome to the Cosmic Connection. This is your place to explore the beauty and order of the cosmos. And your connection to it all. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. And I'm Rick Merlin Levine, your Cosmic Navigator. Now let's dive in. Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It is so great to be here with you all. Today, we are going to be exploring a very interesting topic all around creativity, consciousness, and the cosmos, and how we're at a place in time where we're being invited to go beyond the third dimensional reality in our practice of astrology. So exploring some of the non-physical dimensions, more subtle harmonics that are uh, we can see in the astrology, but not necessarily in the astrology that many of us have learned and the, the more traditional way of looking at charts. And that is where things like creativity and consciousness and soul are found. So Rick, I'm so happy that you're here to lead us on this exploration today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. This is uh one of my favorite topics or actually a topic that for me was like my gateway drug into so many other facets of astrology that just didn't answer the questions that I had. Mm, what was that? What was the main question that you were exploring? Well, the main question that I was exploring is how, how does, how does metaphysical become physical? Mm. How does, how, how do uh, I look around my, my, my room here and I just have hundreds, maybe thousands of things, many of which have complicated stories and constellations of peoples and events and, and books that are not about the book. They're about the person that wrote the book in a whole. I mean, it's just and so this in some ways has manifest around me out of nothingness. Mm. And we each and every one of us have our little constellation, whether it is in physical things or in metaphysical experience, we have these, these, these collections. I, I like to call them constellations because things fit next to things that make a bigger picture. And, and how does this, how does this come into being? And it, and, and it really, to me, contradicts one of the basic things that I, we, many of us um, were taught uh, in, in, in school. And that is, uh, my microphone seems to be wanting to droop. Ah, okay, there we go. Stay there. <laughs> um, there's a wonderful book, incidentally, by Lyle Watson, um, that is, is, is called The Secret Life of Inanimate Objects, which ah. actually has a piece of overtone in what we're going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but the, the thing is, is how come some people are more creative than others? How, come, mm -hmm. how can some people go through life and not collect many, and again, when I say things, I don't mean physical things. I mean, experiences and skills and and expressions and whatever and other people amass a universe of them what is that mm -hmm. and and it, this goes back to in some way a fundamental what i was saying before a fundamental error 
that most of us, many of us learn in school early on. And that is we humans are alive, obviously, and we are part of a tip of evolution that created a nervous system and then a brain that became so complex that it created consciousness. That in other words, consciousness is an epiphenomenon of developing physical psychology, brain, uh, memory, things of that sort. Um, and that consciousness comes from the complexity of, of our nervous system. Whereas it appears that exactly the opposite is true. It appears that vibration creates a geometry that creates a consciousness that complexifies itself and magically somehow creates physicality. Mm. <laughs> In other words, our physical evolution is not reached a point where we've become conscious. It's that the evolution of consciousness reached a point where it was able to manifest this physicality. It's ah. exactly the opposite of what we were trained to, to, to think of from, from science. And so this is where this little exploration begins, because in some ways, this is consciousness being creative. Mm, I love it. And when you're talking about creativity, we were, we were talking about this before we went live. You're not meaning art or artistry, or a lot of people think have a very narrow definition of creativity. So what do you mean when you're talking about? Yeah, it's creativity? true. I, I was fascinated the very first time nearly 20 years ago that I went to Bali. And many of you know, I've spent a lot of time in Indonesia over the past couple of decades. Um, I, I was fascinated to learn that there's no word in Balinese for artist. Hmm. Because everyone is. Ah, oh, I love that. Every, every person is considered an artist. Mm. Everyone. It's part of an integrated piece into the fabric of how they live. Mm. And, and, and for us, somehow an artist became a special thing out there. Um, I, I, I do love Marshall McLuhan's wonderful observation. He said that historically, the artist lived in the ivory tower so that they could have enough space and quiet to reflect what was going on in reality. Mm. However, now things are moving so fast that the artist has moved from the ivory tower to the control tower. Wow. Get it? Really powerful. Yes. And we are all artists every mm. single one of us and the thing is that in some way art becomes normally we think of art as an opposite of science art and science or science and arts or the social arts and sciences or whatever but somehow it's science and art and if we think about it well, i hate to go if we think about it because i was just going to talk about thinking but if we think about it science has to do with the right hand the left brain, because the, the hand and the brain sides are swapped, which has to do with logic, 
which has to do with thinking, which has to do with not gender, but male energy, uh, meaning young energy. Um, this is all um, right hand, left brain stuff. And we come in, we live in a society that has emphasized that over the left hand, right brain. And the right brain is the feminine or yin. Uh, and again, I'm separating this from, from gender for lots of good reasons, as we know. But the left brain is the side of our brain where we think about time and and feelings and and things that are not logical, emotions, the subjective, if you will. Um, and it's really intriguing that over the past few thousand years that we have put a heavy emphasis on science over art because science is the right hand left brain yang and art is the uh left hand right brain um kind of the softer the more reflective the more emotionally uh it, it art is is in some ways the opposite of science art is not rational science has to be rational it has to use ratios and logic to bring its next conclusions in. And um, there's just as an aside, there's a wonderful book by a man named Leonard Schlein, S-C-H-L-A-I-N, uh, medical doctor. He was a professor of surgery um, at Stanford um, Medical School. And he wrote a book called The Alphabet and the Goddess. And in it, he makes the case for how the development of the linear alphabet emphasized the left side of the brain because that's the side of logic linearity and cause and effect if you will which is the right hand which is why he claims the patriarchy as the alphabet was developed overcame the the matriarchy which was which was a more integrated left hand right brain thing and one other thing before we leave this little kind of introductory part of the subject is that it's intriguing how deep the judgment goes for science against art for for logic over emotion and it's very simply this in latin the words for right and left are dexter and sinestra so a right-handed person, that's the, the hand of Dexter. And the word dexterous doesn't mean right-handed. Well, in, uh, etymologically it does. It means that, you know, that you're, that you're capable to be dexterous. You can manipulate things. And to be ambidextrous means you can manipulate things with either hand. But ambidextrous really means two right hands because dexter means right. And the flip side of that is that sinestra is left and it's the root of the word sinister no one wants to be ambisinistrous <laughs> you know as having two left hands and so the the concept of this right brain left brain right hand left hand is built so deeply into our judgment of language and so we have a historical judgment um especially that really developed uh uh, uh, um, developed mostly in what we call the, you know, the age of enlightenment or, you know, from the, let's say 1700s onward, um, when all of a sudden science became so dominating over, 
um, a more integrated way of being. Hmm. Would you make this, is the same sort of argument inherent in this idea that we're exploring today, that the way we have been practicing and studying astrology is more sort of left brain and some of these ideas around creativity and consciousness that we're going to explore are a little bit more right brain and they have been left out of the conversation so to speak yeah somehow the use of the word left out brings in the word left Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, they have been. They have been cut away. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're done. That was it. That was the punchline. <laughs> uh, nice talking with you. No, that's exactly. It, it's exactly it. So you see, we're coming from a world that uh, computer scientists would call WYSIWYG. Um, the letters W WYSIWYG means what you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. Mm. And the fact of the matter is that it wasn't until the 1700s when oxygen was discovered by Lavoisier that he did an experiment where he lit a candle and put a bell jar, an airtight bell jar over the candle and found that as the candle went out, the jar got lighter. Because uh, he put, would put the jar itself on, on a balance beam. And so as the candle burned, the, the, the balance beam went so that the candle became lighter. And, and the obvious conclusion was something was there that the candle was burning up <laughs> that was no longer there. And it was, I mean, again, we credit Lavoisier um, um, as discovering oxygen, but what he really discovered was there are things that are invisible that still have substance. And that was a huge breakthrough that people don't realize the importance of that breakthrough from that perspective. But we live in a world now where, according to Buckminster Fuller, even 50 years ago, 99% of all scientific investigation occurs in areas of the universe that we can't perceive with our five senses. And, and it's a huge shift because astrology um, and, and other things uh, 300 years ago, a thousand years ago, was based upon things that you could see. You know, no one looked at their chart to see when a good time to do yoga or meditation was, <laughs> you know. Well, that may not be true in the, in, the, in the Vedic tradition a little bit. But, but the point is that astrology was largely concerned with prediction of events. In other words, saying before they happened what would happen, things like marriages and divorces and, 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 and who would win a war and who would lose a war. And these were the things that, and, and medical situations which are physical. You know, remember, it wasn't until the early 20th century when Sigmund Freud, however politically incorrect, some people think that he is and was, um, that Freud connected the idea of a mental condition creating a physical condition. That was his great breakthrough. It wasn't psychoanalysis. It was the idea that a physical condition could be created from, from a nervous system. Um, and so, for, you know, like, like a neurosis. Um, and so the point here, again, 
is that astrology, like everything else, was concerned with survival. It was concerned with 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 how our body was, with when we were going to get married or divorced or or buy a home or um, or move or or things of that sort. And it really wasn't until astrology kind of smacked into theosophy in the late 19th century, late 1800s, actually, actually around the time, the decade um, of the conjunction, the once every 400 year conjunction of Neptune and Pluto, which was incidentally the same time that Sigmund Freud was writing the interpretation of dreams, which started this whole um, cultural dive into the non-physical dimensions. And that's what we're really talking about here, because creativity is not building a house if you have a blueprint. That's a skill and that there is a certain, you know, mechanical requirement and that you need to know how to do it. It's a craft. Maybe that's a better word. But creativity is actually dreaming up a new type of house to build and then building it. And so um, historically, we do have people who were creative, but they stand out like, um, I, like, I don't, can't think of the word, they, they stand out amongst other people because there was very few people who were creative at the level of a William Blake or a, or a Mozart or a Beethoven. Um, I mean, these people were, were, were considered to be creative. And the reason is, is that creativity was largely programmed out of us so that we could be productive. <laughs> and so astrology, um, as it kind of meshed with first theosophy um, and then with depth psychology, um, and, and that kind of came to a new height in the mid 20th century in the 1950s, 60s, um, an astrologer named Dane Rudyard, who incidentally was a theosophist, um, began to write about what, what became called humanistic astrology or the astrology not of predicting events, but the astrology of consciousness. The astrology and consciousness is not is is not measurable. You know, we we have scientific um, ways of of creating metrics measurements around someone's height, someone's weight, um, the color of someone's eyes. But that falls apart when we go to measure someone's creativity because it's metaphysical, meaning it's next to the physical. It's not physical. You know, the color of your eyes is physical. And the word physical really, in some ways, means that we can perceive it with our sense of sight or touch, that, that that's what makes something physical. Or even hearing to some extent, but hearing is a crossover because with hearing, is music physical? Well, it turns out that in fact it is because there's patterns, cycles, beating against our ear vibrations, you know, like once every, you know, second or for music for it to really be heard, it's hundreds of times a second. And that beating against our ear creates musical notes. So even music is physical, but we can't see it. So it feels like a crossover. 
And so um, this whole idea of creativity in a chart is interesting because it's not going to be shown by the physicality of a chart. You remember when we look at a chart historically, we're looking at lumps of rock in space, physicality. We're looking at the moon and Saturn and the horizon, the ascendant. These are all physically knowable things. And yet somehow we're trying to extrapolate something that's magical, that's non-physical, that's metaphysical, that's artistic, that's creative. And and traditional astrology doesn't do a very good job of doing that. Um, and actually, it was back to Dane Rudjar who really reintroduced a concept that was first discovered by uh, Johannes Kepler um, back in the um, early 1600s, late 1500s, early 1600s. And that concept that Kepler stumbled upon or developed because he was A, a brilliant mathematician, and B, he was fascinated with music. In many ways, Kepler was kind of like in the direct lineage of Pythagoras, who gave us the musical scale, not only the Pythagorean theorem, but the musical scale as we know it, which is harmony, which is vibration. And so Kepler, basically understanding this, this concept of, of harmony and vibration, we'll dig into that some other time, um, basically he realized that, that what we called astrology built upon um, a cycle of 12, 12 signs in the zodiac, was missing some things because there were harmonies that fell through the cracks. It's almost like if you thought the entire universe was um, based upon automated uh, teller transactions. And so there was only $20 bills. And then one day you discover, because you, you've always used an automated teller, one day you discover there's not only $10 bills and $5 bills and $2 bills and $1 bills, but there's, but there's silver dollars and quarters and nickels and pennies. And all of this wonderful complexity would be something that you didn't know about if you thought the entire universe was handled by automated tellers. Well, in a way, Kepler looked at the world of astrology and saw the Ptolemaic aspects, which are all based upon the zodiac, which is divisions by 12. And the magic thing about 12 is you can divide three into it and four into it evenly. And dividing three into it gives you four squares. And dividing four into it gives you three, um, uh, gives you four triangles. And so these triangles and squares become the basis of astrology. The squares are the modalities, cardinal, uh, the squares are the modalities um, where we have the four elements, fire, earth, air, water, and the triangles are the um, uh, um, are the um, modalities, which are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And so you end up with triangles and squares, and those are physical. And Kepler came along and said, what happens if you divide the circle by five? It doesn't fit into this realm that we thought. And it was this division by five that created the quintiles, which are one-fifth and the biquintiles, two-fifths, five-pointed star. And Dane Rudyard wrote about this because as a theosophist, he was aware of the non-physical dimensions 
of the universe and of consciousness and therefore of astrology. And Kepler called the quintile the aspect of talent. And I've always found that so fascinating because talent is seems to go along with being artistic or being creative. And again, one can be creative without being an artist because we live our lives creatively. Again, back to Bali, everyone is an artist. Being an artist is being in tune with the hum, if you will, uh, without being uh, distracted by the material world that's in front of you. And so we have this idea of, um, of, of, of being creative, which connects somehow to a talent, but one can be talented and not creative. One can be talented in the skill of building houses to a blueprint, and that doesn't necessarily make you creative. And one in fact can be creative without having a lot, uh, without having a talent, which can be very frustrating because you have all these ideas and all these things, but you can't manifest them. And it's the combination between creativity and talent that turns out someone who, you know, is extraordinary in what they do, whether it's a Picasso, you know, or a Jimi Hendrix, you know, who was creative, but also had a talent. But then you look at people who are not artists, people like Einstein was incredibly creative and and his talent if you will was the under was was the understanding of the physical nature of the world but so you can so that you don't have to be an artist in order to be creative wow okay <laughs> that was a bit of a run that was an amazing run. I mean, incredible. I, I was sitting on the edge of my seat and taking lots of notes, of course. So basically, Kepler is where these these lesser No, not lesser. Let's call let's about, let's call them non-zodiacal. Non-zodiacal, but also they are harmonic. Uh, they're not seen they're not physical they're, they're, not they're in a way they're they are more metaphysical that is correct and there's an odd you know it's not a hundred percent where where things are physical where the boundary between physical and metaphysical is varies depending upon how perceptive you are mm. <laughs> you know there are some people uh there's a wonderful poem by e e cummings that I, I wish i had in front of me but i'll give you the gist of it uh um and it's basically uh jesus told him he didn't get it plato told him he still didn't understand Lao Tzu told him, you told him, I told him, even General Yes Ma'am Sherman told him. It took a piece of steel falling off the Third Avenue L in the side of his head for him to get it. Now, mm. Third Avenue L was an elevated in, um, in, in uh, Chicago uh, and in New York, uh, the elevated subway. And basically, it was like it didn't matter how many times you told this person or explained or showed or whatever the the person who's the subject of this poem was so dense that he finally understood it when something hit him over the head mm. that's the way many of us are mm. and then there are people who are so per perceptive that they can perceive disincarnate consciousness 
in the form of spirit guides, ancestors, angels, aliens, uh, whatever you'd like, uh, uh, disincarnate beings of, of all sorts. And there are people for whom those are just as real as you or I. So it's a it's 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 a sliding line between where and I'm going to use these words in the way I like to use them best, where meta becomes physical. Hmm. I hate the fact that uh, Facebook has taken my favorite word because the, the book that I'm writing on quantum physics, the original title is where meta becomes physical. And now you use the word meta. It's like using the word IBM or Facebook, you know, it's just right. like, Meh. yeah. Um, okay. So, so yeah. Kepler found these, the, the Ptolemaic aspects are the more standard square. They're the ones that are that were handed down to us from the Greek or Hellenistic. Helen Helen is simply uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Helena was simply the word Greece in Greek. If you look at a stamp from Greece, it has H E L L E N whatever on it because that's how the you know it it's you know. That's it's Greece. So Hellenistic astrology, which largely stems from the compendium, the compilations of um, of uh, Ptolemy, use aspects that are based upon the division of the zodiac, so that you get the triangles and squares. You get the the the, the triangles, trines, half trines, sextiles, squares. And the squares also are the conjunctions and the oppositions. And those become the main aspects for, for Ptolemy. And even if, if two planets are in signs next door to each other, that would be technically a semi-sextile, 30 degrees. Or next door to the opposition, which would technically be a quincunx, five twelfths. Ptolemy basically said, those planets can't see each other. Mm. but they're still part of his construct so that it was all done by sign. When you mm. step into the realm of quintiles or septiles or octiles or noviles or turnstiles or infantiles or kitchen tiles or bathroom tiles, all these other tiles. I once did a lecture um, that was actually called the X tiles. The truth is out there. Oh my God, that's awesome! Okay, but so when you step into this realm of extiles, or uh -huh. whatever you want to call them, yeah. they're no longer tied to zodiac signs. And Kepler was really the first astrologer who came along and said, "You know, maybe the signs aren't all that important. Maybe there's so something." So, what were they tied to? If they're not tied to the signs, what are they tied to? The vibration of being in aspect with each other. And this is what harmonic astrology is. This is what David Cochran's work in vibrational astrology is. This is what John Addy, the breakthrough Brit astrologer, British astrologer from the 1950s, in his work in harmon essays on harmonic astrology, mm -hmm. he kind of broke that mold into that realm where, it, where although we all use, you know, the fact that this planet's going into this sign or that sign or whatever, or or my moon is in the sign of Cancer or my sun is in the sign of Aries. We all think that these are important things and maybe they are, I'm not doubting that. But maybe more importantly is how is the sun harmonizing or in aspect to all the other planets in my chart? So this is where 
harmonics becomes an important thing. And harmonics can be a scary word to people, but it's really, you know, we think of the word harmony. Two notes sound good together or they don't sound good together. That's mm. harmonics. And do you see astrology going more in this direction where we're oh, actually... Yes. Yeah, 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 wherever you're going with this question, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because we're moving more and more from the physical to the metaphysical, from the hardcore three-dimensional reality into the realm of spirit and soul. And, you know, when we talk about spirit and soul, how do you how do you look at a chart and, and understand or, or even touch the concept of soul? You, you have to go somewhere else beyond the squares, which are the noise of life, you know, or the trines, which is the general flow patterns. Mm. There's something more going on. And it was Kepler's uh, observation and Dane Rudyard's uh, taking it to the next level, and other people since then who believe that the quintiles are one source of understanding where the nature of creativity stems from. But again, one there's a difference between talent and creativity, and one might suggest that talent is what we come in with, whether mm -hmm. it's genetic or past life or uh, or, or 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 very very early conditioning. Um, there's actually a very short thing I'd love to share with you. And this is from a uh, book by James Hillman, um, which is The Soul's Code in Search of Character and Calling. Now, James Hillman, as many people might know, um, was kind of the torch bearer of what was Jungian psychology or the psychology of four types or analytical psychology. And from uh, Hillman's work, Jung's psychology became more of what we call transpersonal psychology. There's something out there that's bigger than 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 any of us. Um, and I might say also in passing that even uh, the work of uh, Rick Tarnas, Cosmos and Psyche and other things that um, that his work is largely impacted um, by this kind of next step from Jung that went through James Hillman and um, and even Thomas More and, and others. But this book, The Soul's Code, has a wonderful little passage in it. And it's, um, it's about the very famous extraordinary violinist named Yehudi, Yehudi Menuhin. And, um, and, and he's talking about how we're born with certain things that our soul knows, but our physical reality has not yet grown into. Um, and, and, and the little passage goes like this. Menuhin, as a three-year-old, wanted what his hands could not hold. Before he, actually, when he was four, um, four, yeah, before he was four years old, he frequently heard the concertmaster, which is the first violinist, um, break into a solo passage as he went with his parents to the gallery of the Quran Theater. During, and this is now a quote from Menuhin. Um, during one such performance, I asked my parents if I might have a violin for my fourth birthday. And Louis Persinger, who was the concertmaster that he heard, and Louis Persinger to teach me how to play it. His wish was granted, it seems, when he was given by a family member, um, uh, a, a family friend, sorry, a toy violin 
made of metal with metal strings. And now a quote back to Menuhin. Quote, I burst into sobs, threw it on the ground, and would have nothing more to do with it. And, and then uh, Hillman goes on and says, uh, because genius is not bound by age, by size, by education, or training, each child is too big for its britches and has eyes bigger than its stomach. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, the soul knows what the body and the being does not yet know. And I think that this touches on quintiles and it touches on creativity because one can be creative. And obviously, Yehudi Menuhin's um, parents bought him a real violin somewhere early on and saw to it that he got lessons. And he became one of the greatest violinists the world has ever seen. But what if they didn't? You know, what, what if no one ever put um, a, a pencil or chalk or, or paints in the hands of a Picasso? Um, what if William Blake had never studied engraving? Uh, you know, these are become interesting questions because they had creativity, but they also had a talent. And yet talent isn't enough because even with talent, you hear, um, you listen to recordings of Rachmaninoff playing one of his impossible to play piano concertos. Um, and, and he could play it not because he was talented, but because he was talented and he developed the skill by practicing hours and hours and hours and hours and hours until his fingers were raw. And that's what made him great, you know? And so there's an interesting dance between this whole idea of being creative and being productive. And the truth of the matter is just to bring this around to astrology is that when you look at someone's chart and they have a lot of quintiles, you know, they're creative. Well, at least you can assume that you really have to discuss it with the client. But unless there is a strong square or trine off of one of the planets in that quintile, they may not be able to manifest that creativity in the three-dimensional world. Do you understand that? Yeah, that's fascinating. So they're working together. These, oh, oh yeah, the, uh, the metaphysical harmonics and the more physical aspects of the square and the trine and opposition, all those, they actually have to work together in order to make something real in this reality. Exactly. And, and, and again, though, it is, it is the meta that creates the, the physical. Right. That's um, what comes first. Can I, can I say Mindy in the, in the audience says, yeah, Ew, I think I love this. I was seeing 144 everywhere yesterday. I forgot it was a biquintile till just now. I am so used to just looking at the chart and forget the numbers that correlate with it. Okay, how does Wendy Mindy know that 144 is a biquintile? What does that mean? Well, how do you know 90 is a square? Ah. I, I, I know how you know that. You know that a square is one quarter of a circle, four into 360 equals 90. Right. So if, if there was such a thing as a bi-square, it sounds like a gender preference. <laughs> if, there, if there was such a thing as a bi-square, it would be two 90-degree angles or 180, but we know that's an opposition. Okay. All right. right. So a quintile is one-fifth of a circle. 
360 divided by 5 is 72. Ah. A biquintile is 72 and 72, which is 144. It doesn't reduce down to anything less than that so that it doesn't have a more simpler um, uh, denotation. And, and in fact, um, in the uh, Astrology Foundations Level 3, um, we're really going to dig into how the names of all these aspects that sound complicated aren't complicated at all. They're just based upon harmonics because a square, which is one quarter of a circle or one fourth, think of the bottom part of the fraction, one over four, a square is the fourth harmonic. A trine, one third of a circle is a third harmonic. Um, two squares, which is two over four, which equals one half is still as a part of the fourth harmonic because it, it fits into the, so the, so a quintile is one fifth of a circle, 72 degrees. It's the fifth harmonic. And by the same token, we can divide 360 by any number, even if it doesn't come out in the Zodiac. And for that matter, even if it doesn't come out as a whole number, when we get into the one seventh, the septiles, it's it's a number that's you know um you can't even express it as a decimal it's one of those numbers like like pi it just keeps going forever and ever and ever but it doesn't make nature not use it look nature uses pi all the time as it's you watch an ocean wave hit the shore and you see all these bubbles nature's calculating out pi to an infinite number of places in order to make all those bubbles because they're all circles whoa that's wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> the way you yeah. just said that. That's amazing. Okay. So you said that Kepler called a quintile, the aspect of talent. And then no, 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 no. That was Dane Rudyard. Oh, Dane Rudyard did. Okay. And then we've had this, this uh, discussion about talent and creativity. What, what's the biquintile? Is that the aspect of what? Well, it's still the, the, the fifth harmonic, just like the fourth harmonic, the squares, the oppositions, and even the conjunctions are all in some way tied to either conflict or 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 inside outside or two things trying to be one they all have a similar resonance the quintiles meaning the quintile and the biquintile um are both about creativity mm. now one could imagine that since the quintile 72 degrees was closer to a conjunction and the biquintile at 144 degrees was closer to an opposition. One might imagine that quintiles are more internal than biquintiles. Hmm. And I've seen that to some extent, but quite frankly, when I'm looking at the quintiles, I just say fifth harmonic. I, I, even when I use the word just now quintiles, I would include quintiles and biquintiles all together because they're all part of the same hum. Okay, so if someone has a lot of quintiles or biquintiles in the chart, you know that this person is creative. Well, and let me put it this way. Yeah, the answer, the short answer is yes, but creativity is expressed in different ways. Right. Because that person might just have a charisma, something mm -hmm. about them that's a hum or a buzz that just doesn't come through when we look at the chart. Some people just have that magic. Right. You know, it's a 
Say again. The it factor. Yeah, and <laughs> that can come from 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 these aspects, not just the quintiles, but even the septiles, which become even more complicated as the harmonic number goes up. The aspects often become more complicated. Um, but just sticking to the quintiles for a minute, the the thing about quintiles is that they're a crossover between the physical and the metaphysical, mm -hmm. because it's where the vibration becomes manifest. There are quintiles naturally in nature. Where? Starfish. A rose. A rose is a five-pointed star with rounded points on the five-pointed star that spirals inward. And the quintile is actually an aspect of Venus. I don't want to go far into this. This will be in the, in, in the course. But, but it's an aspect of Venus because as we know, Venus, in its relationship between the Earth and the Sun, creates a five-pointed star in the, in the sky. Every eight years, it makes five conjunctions with Earth, and those mm. conjunctions are 72 degrees apart. Mm. So Venus is a hum to the Earth that actually is a beat frequency of the quintile. And I could just throw a teaser out there and say the only way to geometrically create um, what the ancients called the golden mean or the divine proportion, um, the number that was considered to be the aesthetically perfect number that artists use, it was the, 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 the secret of the Da Vinci code, if you will, to beauty. Um, this, this number is 1.618033 dot, 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 dot. It goes forever. It's the number associated with the Fibonacci number series. One plus one equals two, and you keep adding the one before it. Two plus three equals five. Five plus three equals eight. Five and eight are on the number series. Venus makes five conjunctions with Earth every eight years. It traces out a five-pointed star, and the Greeks knew that the only way that they could get close or create an exact golden ratio or golden mean was with a compass and a straight edge making a five-pointed star because the angles, the sides, the diagonals intersect each other and divide every line into what they would call the mean and the extreme. And I know mm -hmm. it just went way too far for some people, but, but the fascinating thing is that quintiles are connected with Venus. They're connected with aesthetic perfection. They're connected with beauty. They're connected with pleasure, but they're also connected with the five-pointed star inverted, which can be a bit satanic. And you see strong quintile patterns in charts of like Hitler, of, um, of wow. um, Marquis de Sade. And, but these people were creative. They were just creative in an aberrated, evil way. Whoa, this is so interesting. It, it brings us back to the beginning, one point in the conversation when you were talking about, you know, if if uh, Picasso had never been given a paintbrush there, there or, you go. There or you, go. you know, the, the violinist didn't have the violin, it may be those, those ones with the strong quintiles weren't given a healthy outlet for that creative energy. And, and as you may it, know, no. and as you may know, um, uh, Adolf Hitler was a bit of an artist, but frustrated in that world. Whoa. Okay. So Pebbles asks, um, are quintiles in the chart common? They're just as common as sextiles or squares. Any other aspect. And, okay. But the problem is um, that because 
um, oh, can I do this? Yeah. The problem is because astrology was largely written by guys for guys, it's largely um, attracted to that right hand, left brain, logical, three-dimensional world where mm -hmm. things that are meta to physical just stay invisible. <laughs> mm. You know, and so from that standpoint, the quintiles, for example, because they don't fit into the 12 fold cross uh, and make no mistake when I said squares and triangles, the cross is a square. You know, the symbol for the Catholic Church or the, or for Christianity is a square. It's just the lines left in it. It's the and the square represents physical reality mm. in, in sacred geometry, in astrology, the 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 aspect for manifestation. If you want something to happen in a chart, it's it's basically conjunction squares oppositions. That's what that. And so the Christian tradition is built upon the sacred geometry of the 90 degree angle. If it's not physical, if it's not real, it doesn't exist. Remember, it was the Catholic Church that made the use of cipher, which was the Arab invention or the Arab take on the Chinese invention of a symbol for nothingness. Um, and, and the reason why using Arabic numbers was illegal um, in the Catholic world was because it was the work of the infidel. It was, it was, it was satanic because it was based on a symbol for nothingness. And it wasn't until Leonardo Fibonacci, the same guy who gave us the Fibonacci number series, it wasn't until he wrote a book called Acer Libra, which is the book of numbers, in which he taught in Italian how to calculate using these Arabic numbers. It wasn't until that book came out and people began doing it that the Catholic Church basically said, okay, ciphering is, is, is okay, except we're going to name it with something Italian. The Zero, it's Italian. It wasn't an Italian invention. It was an Arab uh, um, result of, of, of Arabs bringing that tradition in. But the point here again is we have this whole thing of somethingness and nothingness. And mm -hmm. Quintiles have been considered to be a minor aspect. Yeah, you got mad when I I could feel you bristling when I used the word lesser aspect because before. they are less important, and they are less important if you're looking at the physical dimension. But if mm. you're looking at the metaphysical dimension, squares are less important. It reminds me of a story of a guy who studies with a llama in Tibet. He comes back to the United States. He meets a woman. He gets married. He has kids. He becomes the director of a big corporation. He retires and he decides he's going to go back and see if his old teacher's still alive. And he goes back to his teacher from 35, 40 years ago. And the teacher goes, how, you know, how are you? And the guy goes into the story of his life and the teacher goes, I don't care about any of that stuff. How's your spiritual practice? That's the quintile. It's all the physical stuff is irrelevant. It's what's going on in the metaphysical realm. That's what's mm -hmm. important. And that's why the recovery and the everyday use of the quintile and septiles and other harmonic aspects are so juicy because they allow us to get to a part of astrology that we didn't know existed. And, and, and the other problem with referring to quintiles as minor is that we end up using very narrow orbs. 
And mm. I, I meet people all the time because this is often something that I talk about with astrologers, obviously. You know, it's like, oh, they tell me I use quintiles. I use quintiles all the time. I go, oh, yeah, well, what, what kind of orbs do you use? Well, I, I use one I use one and a half or two degrees because they're a minor aspect. Now, this is the same person that's you. Remember, the orb is the number of degrees away from exact that you would allow it for an aspect. So for a conjunction, we might allow an orb of eight or 10 degrees, depending on uh, some people less, some people more. But let's say we used eight or 10 degrees for a conjunction. And let's say we used seven degrees or something for a, a square. Again, these numbers can vary from practitioner to practitioner. And let's say that same person would use three degrees for a sextile, because typically the numbers in modern astrology for the orb get tighter and tighter lesser and lesser as the harmonic goes up mm. so that the conjunction is a first harmonic wide orb you know a square fourth harmonic a little tighter a sextile a sixth harmonic a little tighter a quincunx five twelfths the twelfth harmonic even tighter but then they come back and say, but I only use two degrees for a quintile because it's not important. Well, it's not important because you've put the horse, you put the cart before the horse. Um, or as Tom Robbins once wrote, don't put day car before day horse. <laughs> well, Rick, I, I'm so grateful you're such a champion for the quintiles and the biquintiles and the septiles. And it's it sounds incredibly important, not just in the way that we practice astrology no is, it's about the reintegration of our soul exactly is it, it's is about the, it's about the feminization or let me just say the the equanimity the gender equanimity returning to astrology and it's just one facet i'm not the only there's people all around who are doing different pieces and different facets of mm -hmm. you know of this but the, just to finish this thought off so i can let it go mm -hmm. is that you're not using quintiles if you're giving them a two degree orb. It would be like saying all of a sudden, I'm going to do everything I've always done in, in astrology the same, <clears throat> except I'm going to use a two degree orb for squares. All of a sudden, you're going to miss 80% of the squares that you've always used and you won't recognize them anymore because they're so rare. Wow. Uh, for a quintile, just as an example, my rough aspects, I use wide aspects because I'd rather have the net collect the fish and then throw back the ones I don't want rather mm. than never seeing them. Mm. Um, so for quintiles, I suggest that everyone in their mind or on a piece of paper, write down what they use for the fourth harmonic and the sixth harmonic. The fourth harmonic is squares. What orb do you use for squares? I use, I'd use eight degrees. And what harmonic or what, what orb do you use for sextiles? That's a sixth harmonic. I'd use three degrees. So for me, eight and three are become the boundaries. And you have to use something between the two of them. I use five degrees for a quintile. And when I tell this to traditional astrologers, they go, it's not only crazy using quintiles, it's insane using that many degrees. And my comment or response is, no, it's insane not using that many.
Wow. Okay. So Alyssa has a question that I'm thinking maybe we table for now, but we come back to it on another cosmic connection, which is, can you quickly describe the difference between biquintile quincunx and inconjunct? Um, I can do that very, very quickly. Okay. And, and, and the first part of it is the difference between the quincunx and the inconjunct is the term. They refer to one and the same exact thing. Ptolemy, in his attempt to dismiss those things which didn't conform to the triangles and, and squares, basically called a half of a sextile, which is really one twelfth of a circle, and the point opposite one sign over from an opposition, which is, um, in effect, five twelfths. You can't reduce one twelfth or five twelfths any further. You can reduce two twelfths to one sixth, three twelfths to one quarter, four twelfths to one third, but one twelfth and five twelfths don't reduce. And so Ptolemy threw them out and said they're inconjuncts. They don't, they can't see each other. They can't communicate with each other. Um, and that can be an important thing to note, but they're not, they're not in connection with each other. In modern astrology, it's a mistake to call the semi-sextile and or the quincunx an inconjunct because it means you don't care which it is you're throwing them away and saying they're not aspects whereas there are two types of inconjuncts there are the half sextiles semi-sextiles and the five twelfths the quincunx and everyone says quincunx but it really should be quink unks because quink is five and unks is twelve and although we all say quin Kunks, it's just sloppy speaking. It's quink unks. So that's the difference between the quincunks and the inconjunct. Nothing. It's just the name. Now, the difference between the quincunks and the biquintile, uh, the, the actual technical difference is six degrees <laughs> because a quincunx is 150 degrees and a biquintile, we've already established is 72 plus 72, which is 144 degrees. So the difference between a biquintile and a quincunx is, is six degrees. They're different aspects. One's based on a division by 12. The other's based upon a division of the pi by five. And into that, I would add also the tri-septile. Tri just means three. So this is three-sevenths of a circle which is a, doesn't come out evenly, but it's a little bit over 154 degrees. And we'll dig into this deeply in the level three uh, program because the magic of the quincunx is at, at the halfway point between the two-fifths, the biquintile, and the three-sevenths, the triceptile. And so that quincunx point becomes a really interesting point. Okay, well, Rick, I know we're going to have several more explorations on on topics around this. And again, I'm super grateful that you're bringing this into the conversation. I've also seen you bristle at the misuse of the word inconjunct, and uh, it's 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 awesome. You, well, as you as you probably remember, um, I've had I I have a convertee in this 
And for years, every time Anne Orderly said in conjunct, I'd say, you mean quincunx? And she'd go, yeah. And then I began hearing her saying, well, blah, 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 in conjunct. Okay, Rick says I should say quincunx, quincunx, you know. And it, it, but, it, but language is important because yeah. how we language things determines how we think about them. Yes, awesome. Okay, so coming up, if any of you are interested in really doing a deep dive on this, we are going to have Astrology Foundations Level 3 with Rick in February. You can get on the wait list right now. We don't have registration open, but you can get on the wait list at astrologyhub.com slash foundations, three, the number, wait list. That's foundations, three, the number, wait list. And if you have taken Foundations Level 1 and 2, this is like an easy next step in the journey. If you haven't, but you feel like you're ready for these this level of conversation about uh, these aspects, these harmonic harmonic aspects, then you don't have to take level one or two in order to take three. So it's up to you. If you want to catch up and take level one and two, you can do that. Those are available at astrologyhub.com slash foundations one and astrologyhub.com slash foundations two, or you can get the Rick Levine bundle where all of the foundations courses plus the chart reading extravaganzas are all together in one product. So we are really, really looking forward to this. I'd love to take the bundle, but I want someone else to carry it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cool. excited about the Foundation 3. Uh, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting thing. And, and, and some of the things we've talked about today, we will be going deeper on because there's such an important relationship between this idea of touching what's not there, of, yeah. of, of finding the soul in, in a chart, um, of making charts come alive in a way. I, I mean, charts like, like, like Mozart, who you can do his chart. I mean, every astrologer, not every, but in so many astrology books, because we have accurate data for him, his chart is like a classic chart or Albert Einstein, you know, good data, classic chart. But when you bring in the quintiles, all of a sudden the magic of it comes alive and you realize, oh my God, I, I had no idea that that's what I was missing. Wow. Um, and the same thing tr is true with, with other harmonic aspects. I don't want to complicate or fall into, you know, you know, that land right now, but. It, well, uh, what I love about that is there's always these new aspects of ourselves that we get to discover in astrology. And it sounds like People will be exploring this in, in the charts of other people, but there also could be some hidden gems about you that you get to realize. Well, I can't tell both. you how many people that I've worked with, including astrologers that we would know by name who have been astrologers their whole life, looking at their at their charts and and telling them that their sun and moon was was septile exactly and all of a sudden it's like oh my god you have no idea what this explains that i have never quite under understood mm. um and so in our own charts i've seen again and again and again people react you know to those on on uh, to to that concept and and by the way Monica by the shore has asked what my opinion on the number system based on 10 or 12 is and it's not really about my opinion. It's about what is, I mean, we use a base 10 counting system um, in all of our arithmetic and math. Um, however, timekeeping is done on a base 12. 
Hmm. And so the and the base 12 is just so much more convenient because you can divide it in half in thirds and in quarters. And that's how we keep time. That's how we and, and of course, now we step into the realm of music. When we talk about keeping time and the hmm. beat of music, it's much easier to conceive of things by, um, you know, uh, give me a beat, 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 beat. OK, now give me half beat. Beat and beat and beat and now give me a three, a one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. We can do that. And and yet with base 10, you divide by half, you get five. And that's the quintile realm. You divide half again and you're off in fraction land. Mm. And so the, the base 10 is great because it allows us to work with fingers and toes. Rick. And I, again, I think I feel like I'd love to explore what I'm going to bring up here on another Cosmic Connection. <laughs> but as a person that going through school, I always felt much more comfortable with language, with writing, with English. I never thought of myself as a mathematical person. And it was always more challenging for me. And I feel yeah. like people get to a point, even in their astrological studies, where it can be intimidating, just the math. And, you know, you, you throw these numbers out and, and it's all making sense in your head. And I, I'm like a little bit behind you, like, oh, okay, wait, yeah, that fraction, that fraction. So I'd love to address just the intimidation of astrology. Well, and that's and part math. of the magic of, of why astrology right now is in such a renaissance, such an explosion, is right. because 50 years ago, unless you were a mathematician, you couldn't step into this realm. You were out. And, yeah. and now computers handle it all. And, yeah. and we, just as, a, um, as an aside, in, in the level three course, we won't get lost in numbers. There will be some numbers, but of course it's all recorded. So you'll be able to listen to it and take notes and there'll be handouts and so on. But the thing is, is that once you understand it, it's not like you need to count on your fingers or use an abacus or or use Excel or whatever. The computer does all that for us. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just another another example of the way new realms are opening up to us in this time. There's there's more being revealed. And, and I always feel like that's because we're ready for it. And so why not explore it? So, yeah. Rick, thank you. Oh, I have one other thing to say about creativity that yeah. kind of that it goes back to this whole thing of um, of of being creative doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be successful at what it is that you're creating. Mm. But it means that in using astrology, we can at least begin to understand the nature of what some of that is. Remember, we had people like like William Blake who's now considered to be maybe one of the greatest uh, uh, poets in the English language ever, you know, or at least in the top five or whatever. He died unknown and penniless. Mm. You know, it's it, it, it's like Van Gogh never selling a piece of art, you know? I just and learned so that Tchaikovsky didn't see a successful Swan Lake in his lifetime. Yeah, there I mean, he, it was a disaster, supposedly. The ballet was a disaster. So, yeah. So the point here is that quintiles aren't just a quick and easy way to find creativity and be magic. Unfortunately, sometimes the road of creativity is like Blake called the road of genius, a crooked one, and mm -hmm. the road of an improver, a straight one. And sometimes mm -hmm. the, the creative person who has a lot of quintiles 
and septiles, which are even more complicated and harder to manifest. Remember the five pointed, you know, um, I mean, borage is a good example of a five pointed flower. There's lots of five pointedness in nature, but there's almost no seven pointedness. You know, you get into these more complicated things and it's how do you manifest them? And that often becomes a, a real frustration of someone whose chart is very heavily endowed with quintiles, septiles, noviles, and so on, because they it's hard for them to find a place to fit in. I wonder, though, if having the awareness of this it wiring, helps. then you can partner up with people who are good at manifesting things Ooh. in reality. Ooh, I see yeah. another I see another matchmaking service in the development. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great call. Match your okay. quintiles with someone's squares. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Okay. Someone needs to develop that infrastructure. Okay. Amazing. Rick, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I love getting you on some of these topics that I, I could just, you're so passionate about, but I, I you definitely conveyed to us why today, why you're passionate about it and why it would behoove us all to explore these, these aspects. So thank you for that. Thank you all for being here. It's been so much fun to see you in the chat. I'm so happy that you're able to join us live on a Thursday afternoon, right before the holidays are happening. Really appreciate that you're all here. Actually, someone wrote in and said that they were watching it, uh, watching this show with their children um, right now. So that's that's really fun. I know lots of family gatherings and things happening. So thank you everybody for being here. Rick, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being with here. Thank being you. With us and here thank in you for all that you do and Merry Christmas. I tried to figure out words so that I could say, you know, like numinous new year, um, you know, um, uh, soulful solstice, yes. uh, happy Hanukkah is easy. Yes. Um, but I can't think of a good word with, with, you know, a, you know, charismatic Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, sure. That works. I like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I love the soulful solstice too. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you everybody so much. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you for being a part of our community and thank you as always for making astrology a part of your life. We'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, I'm Rick Levine and I'm really looking forward to teaching the upcoming Astrology Foundations Level 3 course here at Astrology Hub this coming February. This is the course that you've all been waiting for that takes an in-depth dive into the magic of quintiles, septiles, and other harmonic aspects. If you want to be the first to know when registration opens, sign up for the waitlist now at astrologyhub.com slash foundations3waitlist. I look forward to seeing you there.